If you've been at our church for a while, you've heard me make this statement before, but I believe there's a difference between a, a male and a man. Now, I, I believe this because of the way I was raised. In, in my family, particularly my mom's family, among my uncles, being a man was more than being an 18-year-old male. To their way of thinking, a male was your gender, but being a man was a statement about your character. A man was a male that took his responsibilities seriously, did the things he was supposed to do, and refused to do the things he wasn't supposed to do. Being a man involves your character, your integrity, and your honor. Now, one of the responsibilities that a man has is in his home. In fact, outside of his relationship with God, every man's first and foremost responsibility is in the home. When you were married, you vowed before God to do certain things for your wife. Likely in these vows, you pledged something along the lines to uh, honor and comfort her, to love her and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, uh, keeping yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live. You vowed to have and to hold her for better or for worse, for richer or poor, sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part. Now, these vows are pretty common to most all Christian marriage ceremonies. How many of us really thought about what it was we were promising to do? How many of us really thought about what we were saying? Now, I'll say for me, maybe every other guy in here was entirely different. I was not thinking about the vows and the wedding. I was thinking at what was going to happen once we were married. I just wanted to get through the ceremony to be with my wife. I really didn't put as much thought or effort into the marriage itself as I should have. I mean, I meant it when I said I do, but I know I did not fully understand what I was vowing, what I was pledging to do. Now, Scripture teaches us what our I do is supposed to mean so we can be godly husbands. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So open your Bible to Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 25. Should be page 898 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I want you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Now... If you're here and you're not a husband, you're a guy, but you're not a husband, you think, what does this have to do with me? Listen, because this is what God expects of you as a man. This is what God expects of you when you find a girl and you get married. This is the kind of husband you're supposed to be. If you're here and you're a a young woman that doesn't have a husband, you say, well, what does this have to do with me? This is the kind of man you should look for. Don't look for a boy, don't look for a male, look for a man that acts and treats you in the way that this describes. And if you're a husband, this is who we're meant to be as men. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and these two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, And the wife that she reverence her husband. The title of the message this morning is being a godly husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity we have. We thank you, Lord, for your word that does guide us and show us the kind of men we're supposed to be. And the kind of men uh, that 
that our daughters and our young women should look for. God, help us as men in the church that we would take this to heart and we would examine our lives and we would see if we are the kind of godly men you have called us to be. Father, guide us to take it and learn and grow and, and just to, to develop into what you want us to be. God, the young men of our church, Father, that they would grow into the kind of godly men that was described in this passage of Scripture. Help the young ladies in our church to seek after this kind of a man, Lord, and to go after the kind of man that pursues you and seeks your heart and your will for their life. God, today, uh, help us to lay aside any cares of life we may have brought in. Let our hearts and minds be centered upon you. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Let your will be done in all of our hearts and lives. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, a lot of times when we look at Ephesians 5, people want to focus on in terms of of wives submit to your husbands. And if you notice, we skip that part. Now, we didn't skip that part because we're not going to get to it. We skip the part um, because we're going to look at it next week. I was going to make a joke and say we skipped it because I knew Kelly would be in children's church and I wanted her to hear it. Uh, But that's not really the reason behind it. The reason is, if you you go back through the history of my being here, and I've preached this series of passages a couple of different times. I always preach to the men first. I preach to the men first because as we're going to look at, men are meant to be the spiritual leaders of the home. And I believe it starts with the men. But if the men aren't the men they're supposed to be, I don't believe the women will be the women they're supposed to be. I don't think you can expect it. So we're going to start with the men and what God expects us to be. Right? Again, it does talk about wives submitting to your husbands, which we will look at next week. But it speaks just as much to men tells us the kind of responsibility we are to have to our wives and really what our responsibility to the Lord is because that's the the big key to this responsibility. These are God-given responsibilities that God has laid upon us as men. These are our responsibilities to our wives and in a bigger sense to God Himself. So what we're going to look at today is what God expects of each and every man, particularly if we are a husband to a wife that God has given to us. This is the kind of man we're supposed to be. Now, our key truth is godly husbands fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their wives. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, you cannot be a godly man without doing these things. Godly men fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their wives. God has given, Scripture has revealed three responsibilities in this passage. Number one, love my wife like Jesus loves the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now we could spend all day on the meaning of that verse and never really cover the length and the breadth and the depth of what it says. This is one of the most challenging verses in Scripture. Husbands are meant to love their wives with the same type of love Jesus has for the church. And as we look at what it means to love our wives as Christ has loved the church, we have to understand this is really kind of the key responsibility. But if I love my wife, if I love Kelly like Jesus loves the church, I'll do everything else the Bible talks about. Everything else in this passage, I will do if I love my wife like Jesus loves the church. At the same time, if I do not love my wife as Jesus loves the church, I will not do the rest of what Scripture demands I do. Loving our wives as Jesus loves the church is the first and most important aspect 
of being a godly husband and fulfilling our God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities. Now, there are, at the very least, two character traits of love that Jesus has for the church. First, is love sacrificially. Jesus gave His life for the church. He selflessly put the needs of the church above His own needs and died on the cross to save the church. He sacrificed His life so we could be a part of His church. Now what does this mean for us as men since we can't die for the salvation of our wives? It means we must be willing to sacrifice, to give of ourselves for the sake of our wives. We must be willing to sacrifice our wants for her wants. We must be willing to sacrifice our desires for her desires. Now, I'm a husband, so I can speak straightly and bluntly to the men in the room. In my experience, husbands can be the most selfish people on the planet. Amen? Husbands, let me ask you. How many times in this last week did you sacrifice doing what you wanted for the sake of your wife? Not for what she would do for you later, but just because that's what she wanted to do. How many times this week did you put her wants and her wishes and her desires ahead of your own just because you loved her? Not a deal, I'll do this for you and later you're going to do this for me. But I love you, and so I'm going to put you ahead of myself. Now most of us probably do not want to give a public answer to that question. And I would imagine if we took a poll of husbands versus wives, we would likely find wives out-sacrificed husbands by a shameful margin in most cases. Because just as a general rule, women are often more sacrificial and more selfless than men are. If we are going to love our wives as Jesus loves the church, we must be willing to sacrifice for them. We must be willing to serve them just for because we love them. Too many times... We husbands want to be the lords of the manor and have everything revolve around us and have our wives and our children serve us in all things. However, if we are to love our wives as Jesus loves the church, we must serve them. We must make sacrifices for them. Anyone can say, I love you. Anyone can mouth the words. But it takes something different, something more To demonstrate that love with actions. And and the actions have to be actions that the wife wants. Right? Doing what I think would be a blessing to Kelly is not loving her if she is not blessed by the action. It has to be what she wants. It has to be her desire. It has to be her want. Serving her in a way that lets her know, I love you. It's what Jesus did, and that's what we're to do. Secondly, we must love unquestionably. The love Jesus has for His church is never in question. The cross settles once and for all the question of Jesus' love. In the same way, 
Our wives should never doubt our love, our devotion, or our attraction to them. And to make it easy for them never to doubt our love, our devotion, or our attraction, we should never do anything that places a doubt in their minds. And it is very important for us as husbands to know that our actions and our words can cause our wives to doubt our love, our devotion, and our attraction to them. We have to be aware of that. We have to be careful of that. Now, I have a confession to make. I can very much be an insensitive male. And so I will pause for the appropriate gasps of shock and horror as you come to realize your pastor is imperfect and flawed. And I come from a a long line of insensitive men on both sides of my family. My grandfather's name was Babe, but don't let the name fool you. He was anything but soft. The men in my family kill things, we shoot guns, we read guns and ammo, and we don't particularly value men who are in touch with their feminine side and their feelings. Typically at family gatherings, we hunt those people down, we give them a pig belly till they cry, and then we make fun of them. Because of this, I've had many opportunities to hurt my wife's feelings. I've had many opportunities to make her question my love, my devotion, and my attraction to her, to my shame. From my own experience, from talking to older couples and and listening to more experienced preachers preach on the subject, I've learned there are several things a husband should never do so as not to make his wife doubt his love, his devotion, or his attraction to her. As a husband, you should be very careful about commenting on another woman's physical appearance. If you want to make your wife feel insecure real quick, start talking about how good looking some other woman is. A husband should never ogle another woman. If you walk through Walmart, your head is snapping to check out other women. You are planting doubts in your wife's mind that you are attracted to her. You are planting doubts in her mind that you love her and you are devoted to her. A husband should be very careful about hugging and kissing on other women who are not his wife, mother, sister, daughter, or otherwise related. But if you spend a lot of time hugging and kissing on other women, you are not only sowing doubt, seeds of doubt in your wife's mind, but in those who observe you. And the reality is, if you're doing this to other wives, most husbands don't want you hugging their wives. They don't want you pulling up on them like that. And that should be enough to help us realize anything we do that would cause our wives to doubt our love, our devotion, our attraction to them should not be done. And again, this calls for us to talk to them. To say, what do I do that makes you doubt? What do I do that makes you feel insecure? And then, no matter how dumb we may feel it is, stop doing it. Listen, man, if your wife says, this makes me feel insecure, this makes me doubt, that is not the time to say, well, that's dumb. You shouldn't. That is the time to say, yes, dear, I love you. I love you so much. I will not do that anymore. Because you are what matters to me. Your first responsibility as a godly husband is to love your wife like Jesus loves the church. And if you do this, you will do everything else we're going to talk about. And if you fail to do this, you will fail to do everything else we're going to talk about. Take some time this week, men. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. Read about what love is and what love does. 
And then replace love with your name. And ask yourself, is this true? Does this actually describe me? Pretty much everything rises and falls on love. When we love as we should, we do as we should. When we don't do as we should, it's almost always because we don't love as we should. Godly husbands fulfill their God-given scripture, revealed responsibilities to their wives. And this starts with loving our wives as Jesus loves the church. Secondly, be the spiritual leader of my home. Verse 26 and 27, it reminds us why Jesus gave his life for the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. The idea is that through Jesus our sins are forgiven. And we are sanctified. Sanctification is a constant process of our being made in the image and likeness of Jesus. This process is accomplished as the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to transform our lives. Started the moment we gave our lives to Christ, it will continue until Jesus calls us to be home with Him. So you say, well, okay, that's great, but how does this relate to being a spiritual leader of my home? Well, look at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. <clears throat> the phrase so ought men too means there exists the same sort of connection between a husband and wife as there is between Christ and the church. Just as Jesus is concerned about the salvation, the spiritual growth and the, south and the sanctification of the church, husbands should be concerned about the salvation, the spiritual growth and the continued sanctification of their wives. Now, a key thing with this, though, in order for me to be concerned about Kelly's salvation, Kelly's sanctification, Kelly's continued growth, guess what I have to be doing myself? I have to be saved. I have to be growing. I have to be cooperating and being sanctified in my life. Jesus didn't sit back and say, be holy. He didn't sit back and, and say, grow and do good things. He set the perfect example of this. He works in our life through the Spirit and through the Word to, to help us, to equip us, to guide us. This is our example. This is what we are supposed to do. And again, the shameful truth is more often than not, women are the spiritual leaders of the home. More often than not. It is the wife coming to church. And bringing the kids. More often than not. It is the wife praying. And working on trying to teach the children. The Bible. More often than not. It is the wife praying for the family. And setting the example of spiritual growth. And spiritual maturity. For the family. More often than not. Husbands, let me ask you some questions. Who led the way to get your family to church today? You or your wife? Husbands, who makes sure your family prays together? You or your wife? 
Husbands, who sets the example for serving Christ in your family? You or your wife? Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Are you, as the husband, the spiritual leader of your home? Or does your wife have to do your job as well as hers? God created husbands to be the spiritual leaders of the home. And when we aren't, we put that additional burden on our wives. And that is not what God intended. Let me ask you, how many have ever worked with a slacker? Now, you know the guy I'm talking about who won't do their job under threat of death or beatings. But because you'll get in trouble if they don't do it, you have to do your job and their job to make sure things get done. Now, we've probably all worked with that guy. How many of us like working with that person? None of us do. None of us want to work with someone that won't pull their own weight and won't do their own thing. The sad reality is many husbands would never be that on the job. They would never go to work and make someone else have to do their job. But then they come home and they become that guy in the house. They come home and they never lead spiritually and force the wife to have to do her job and theirs. And that is a shameful, shameful thing to exist among men created in the image of God. Now I know it's not politically correct to talk about men being the spiritual leaders of the home. But it is biblically correct. Many men today have all sorts of excuses as the reason why they can't. I'm not wired that way. I, I don't know how. I this, I that. But all of these excuses are just that. They are excuses. And they are not valid. One of the great and desperate needs in the world today is for men to step up and lead the way in the home and in the church to serving Jesus. For men to step up and be the godly spiritual leaders of the home God has called them, equipped them, and created them to be. Godly husbands. Fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their wives. And this includes being a spiritual leader of the home. And then thirdly, cherish my wife. Love my wife like Jesus loves the church. Be the spiritual leader of my home. And then cherish my wife. Anyone who comes to me for premarital counseling... We'll hear many times in the course of the counseling. The relationship between a husband and wife is the second most important relationship there is. When our relationships are prioritized in the way they're supposed to be, it is God first, family second. That is a rule without exception. And in our text we see two ways this is lived out. The ways we are to cherish our wives above all others. But look at verse 29. For no man ever 
yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And with this, what I want you to think about is in terms of always treat her with respect. Again, this carries with it the idea we see that just as Jesus treats the church as the same way husbands are to treat their wives. We are to care for them as we care for ourselves. I've often heard husbands in public make fun of their wives, call them derogatory names, run them down or or speak ugly to them in one way or another. And often they act like it's a joke and it's no big deal. But I wonder, would it be okay if the wife did that to the husband? Would those same sort of jokes be funny coming from her in front of your peers and your friends? If not, it's probably not okay. Jesus gave us a general principle about this. He said, do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. If you don't like people to make fun of you, don't make fun of them. If you would not appreciate your wife talking down to you, mocking you or belittling you in front of others, then do not do that to others. Now that's a general principle for all, but the husbands have a specific responsibility. Likewise, ye husbands dwell within your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. So the weaker vessel is being heirs together of the grace of life, That your prayers be not hindered. Now dwell with your wife according to knowledge. It implies more than just having a kind attitude. It implies being considerate of your wife based upon your knowledge of her needs, her desires, her gifts, and her abilities. But again, what that requires is to listen. To talk to her. Listen, if she says that those jokes make her feel belittled, that make her feel demeaned, and yet you think that's silly, it doesn't matter what you think. You're supposed to stop. You're supposed to dwell with your wives according to knowledge. You're supposed to listen to what she has to say. Care about her feelings. Care about her desires, her gifts, her abilities. And let your knowledge of her guide how you treat her. But that does require talking and listening and caring. And it says, it says to the weaker vessel. Now, the weaker vessel doesn't mean like spiritual weakness or moral weakness or intellectual inferiority. It refers to physical weakness. Right? You're stronger. Than she is. So you're supposed to treat her a certain way. But despite the fact that she is physically weaker than you, she is still an heir together with you in the grace of life. She is still equal in Christ with you. And suppose you're supposed to treat her as such. You're supposed to listen, respect her opinions, protect her. Honor her. Listen to her advice. Be considerate of her needs. Relate to her both in private and in public with love, with courtesy, with tact, with concern for how she feels about what you say and what you do. And the result of failing to do this is your prayers be hindered. 
If you are not treating your wife as you should, your relationship with God is not what it should be. It's just not. Now this doesn't mean that wives have free reign to do what they want and their prayers are not hindered. But with leadership comes responsibility. As the spiritual leader of the home, the primary responsibility to make sure the relationship is as it should be. It falls to you, men, to treat your wife as she ought to be treated. To care for her. To listen to her. And if there's things that are wrong, to seek her out and say, what is wrong? What has happened? Why is there something between us at this time? That's what it means to cherish her above all others. So that we treat her in this way. And then always treat her with respect, but also prefer her above all others. It says in verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. In the culture that Paul wrote, boys and girls normally lived under the authority of their parents until they were married. When they were married, they both left home. They went somewhere else and they started a family. The leaving home was symbolic of a change in priorities and loyalties. The husband's priority was now his wife. The wife's priority was now her husband. The loyalty was to one another over all others. We read this in the creation account in Genesis, which shows us this was always God's intention. It was always his intention that husbands would prefer their wives above all others. And that wives would prefer their husbands above all others. God's plan for the home, for the world. has always been for the relationship between a husband and wife. To be the highest human relationship on the earth. When you get married. All other relationships All other priorities, all other loyalties become secondary to your spouse. Over your family, over your buddies, over your job, over everything. When I first got out of the army, I moved in with my brother. He had just bought a house and wanted me to to live with him. And I lived and paid a minimal amount of rent to help offset the house payment. It all went well for a while. And then something happened that that threw a monkey wrench and everything. He met a girl. And he not only met a girl, he liked the girl and he married the girl. And when they were dating, he told her, my brother lives with us while he's going to college and he's going to continue to do so. She was okay with it, she said. But once they got married, tensions ensued. Now, Now, there was never an argument. We never fought. But I mean, let's just be real. What newlywed wife wants her husband's little brother living with him, right? I mean, that's just not the best situation. Now, being a jerk, I didn't volunteer to move out. I chose to stay. And then things just kept being tense. And then something happened to make it worse. She was pregnant with my niece. And since she was pregnant, she wanted me to move out so they could make my room the nursery. And again, being a jerk, I didn't make that offer. Which made things even more tense. And put my brother in a bad situation. What did he do? Did he kick his little brother out? Or did he let his little brother stay and have tension with his wife? In the end, I went off to 
summer camp for the National Guard. And while I was gone, they packed up all my stuff and moved it to my mom and dad's garage. And I came home to not having a place to live. And I was angry at my brother. Not at my sister-in-law. I didn't, she wasn't my brother. I was angry. But after a while, I realized something. He made the right choice. Heather should have always been the priority. Even though she agreed to my living there, the moment she said to him, I would rather your brother leave, he should have come to me and said, Stacy, you need to go. And if I was going to be a jerk, he should have just changed the locks and threw my stuff on the lawn. Because Heather should have been the priority. Not me. Because when you get married, Everything shifts. And your primary loyalty has to be to your spouse over all others, even your little brother, even your mom and dad, even your best friends. This is God's priority list. And it cannot be improved upon. And when it is, when we try to improve upon it, we mess it up every single day. Time. I heard a years ago. I heard a guy preach, and he asked a question on this passage that has always stuck with me. He said, "Men, would you want your daughters to grow up and marry a man treats them like she's seen you treat your wife?" That's a powerful thought to a dad with three little girls. Because the reality is, dads. Your children look at you and you're the model. You're the example. And in a lot of ways, what you do and how you treat your wife is what they consider to be normal. Is that normal godly and good? Or is that normal ungodly and wrong? Godly husbands, godly men fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their wives. And that means we must cherish our wives above all others. Always. So I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to stand with your eyes closed. Now when we look at these things, I hope that there is a sense within us which we say, man, that's hard. It is hard to always do those things. It just is. We cannot do these things on our own. But we don't have to. God gives us the desire to do His will. And then God gives us the ability to do His will. You can... Be the kind of godly man we just looked at this morning. Because the Spirit of God within you will empower you. And will help you. And will guide you. I want to pray. I'm going to open the altars. And if you you need to come. If you need to come and say, God help me. I, I have not been this kind of a man. But God, I want to be. 
And this is the time to come to the altar to cry out for God's help. If you feel you need to apologize to your wife, this is the time to take her by the hand. You lead her up here and you ask her to pray with you and to pray God would help you to be the kind of man you ought to be. This is what it takes to be a man. This is what it takes to be a man of God. And every one of us are meant to be that. I'm going to pray, then I'm going to open up the altars. And if you want to come, you come. Dear God, we need you today. We need you to make us into the kind of men we ought to be. We need you to give us the strength we need to have. We need you to give us the courage we need to have. We need you, God. To convict us when we're off. And we need you to create that kind of love in our hearts. We need you to shift our mindset and our attitudes and our actions. We need you to change us. And to make us godly men. Who fulfill and strive to the best of our abilities. To fulfill our our God-given scripture revealed responsibilities. God where we're off and where we're not as we should. Convict us. The world will tell us we don't have to act like this. The world is not our standard. You are. So God, today where we're off, convict. Where there's been problems in our marriage because of our attitudes and our actions, give us the courage to go and say, I'm sorry. Let there be grace and strength and mercy in the marriage to grow and have a marriage that is built on Christ bonded with our love for one another. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. If you need to come to the altar, you come.